Okay, so we are in the book of Revelation, and last week we finished in Revelation chapter 2, uh, verse 7, which I'm going to read again very shortly. But before we get into today's message and broadcast, just a few additional thoughts to share with you all today as a quick recap, I guess, as to what we've looked at thus far. From Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, it says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so, amen. You've got three groups of people there that see the Lord's return. You've got tribulation saints. You've got those that pierced him, which will be the Jews and the Catholics. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. So three groups of people. And out of those three groups of people, only one group are happy to see him. And that's why the majority have always been the wrong and the minority have nearly always had the truth and been in the truth. From chapter 2, verse 6, we came across the term Nicolaitans, which is a Greek word, and it's a transliteration. And there's two parts to the word Nicolaitans, Nico and Latians, and it means in a nutshell to conquer the people. Not just a two-tier system, like priests and clergy, or pastors and laity. For the Catholics, it's uh, priest and laity, the priests are very much over the laity, and in Protestant churches, the pastors are over the laity. It's not just a two-tier system, as I say, it's also to conquer the people. It's to put the people down, and I think of the cults that are very much under the thumb of their elders, their bishops, and the Lord told you very clearly how he hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans, from chapter 2, verse 6, and that group I mentioned again, also from verse 15, which, Lord willing, we'll get to today. So, if you are in a system and you've got priests over you, or pastors over you, and they are lording their authority over you, then you know that you are dealing with the Nicolaitans, which the Lord told you he hated, he despised. And it's a terrible thing to fall foul of the Lord. He's going to commend, and he's also going to condemn his children, and yet like every parent, he doesn't take satisfaction or delight in chastising his wayward children. But of course, when children go astray, a parent will of course get the whip out, as it were. They will put their kids back into line. And if you don't put your kids back into line, then of course they go astray like an alley cat. And therefore the Lord steps in and, as I say, he will condemn and also commend his children. So keep those opening thoughts in mind if you will also before i forget to mention as we go through revelation chapter 2 we're going to come across the church in pergamos and the church of pergamos is an era which produces two of the most ungodly pieces of literature the world has ever known and i'm thinking about Sinaiticus and vaticanus and if i get a chance i will discuss that more but for today if i may i just wish to very quickly Read again from Revelation chapter 2 verse 7 to set the tone, to set the pace for today's broadcast and then start in verse 8. Take a look please at Revelation chapter 2 verse 7. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. This message is given to the churches, literal first century churches, through the Spirit. The Holy Ghost. And I just wonder again from chapter 1 
verse 1, when it speaks about his angel. Could that angel be the Holy Ghost? I don't know. I'm still in two minds as to whether or not it could be Daniel. We know from scripture again that when we get saved, we are like angels in heaven. But here the address is given to the churches via the spirits to him that overcometh, to him that gets born again. And I showed you from First John chapter 5 that if you are born again, you already past tense have overcome. You are already an overcomer. To him that overcometh, to him that is born again, to him that appropriates the atonement, will I give to eat of the tree of life. Now you don't get saved by taking or eating from the tree of life. And you know, if you are a Bible reader, that the tree of life is found back in the book of Genesis. And back in the book of Genesis, Adam, the first man, was tested and fell. Christ would be tested in the garden of Gethsemane and would succeed. He wouldn't fail. So to eat of the tree of life for this dispensation, for the church age, won't get you saved. So again, very briefly, paradise was lost in the garden back in Genesis chapter 3, to be precise. Whereas in the garden of Gethsemane, paradise was initially restored. And the Lord turned to the children of Israel and said, if you believe on me, I will save you and I will give you paradise now and they said no thank you we're going to pass up on this offer of yours we're going to stick to religion we're going to do religion we're going to be part of the Nicolaitan problem we're going to remain in a system with priests over us you see we don't want this man to reign over us we have no king but caesar but for today let's start today's broadcast if we may in verse 8 and unto the angel of the church in smyrna write these things saith the first and the last which was dead and is alive I know their works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. The church in Smyrna covers a period from around 200 AD to 325 AD. And keep in mind this please, that every church found in chapters 2 and 3 has what's called a double application, meaning this, that in Psalm 22, the word of God says, they pierced my hands and my feet. That's King David speaking. Of course, he wasn't pierced. He wasn't crucified, but the Messiah was. So Psalm 22 has a double application. First and foremost, to David, the king of Israel, the type of Christ, but behind him is the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And note also, once again, that this is addressed to the angel, not the pastor, but to the angel of the church in Smyrna. Now, just a quick recap. Everything that happens on the earth is duplicated, is mirrored up in the third heaven. When you get saved and you meet with a group of people, two or three at least, you have an angel in heaven which beholds your father's face. Some people think that they have a guardian angel on the earth. No, I think when you get saved... If you break bread regularly, if you meet with like-minded people, you have an angel who is assigned to you, who is in heaven, beholding our Father's face. I don't quite understand that, but that's what I think the Word of God is telling us. And therefore, John is writing to the churches, plural, in Turkey, first century, and what he is giving them is being mirrored in heaven. Okay, the angel is the recipient of these books. In fact, one additional footnote before I forget to mention also from uh, verse 5, the church of Ephesus was told that if they didn't repent, Christ would remove thy candlestick out of his place. His being masculine. 
which means this, that if they don't repent, he will extinguish their light. He will dethrone. He will demote their position in heaven, not on the earth. There's so much going on in the book of Revelation. I'll be quite honest with you that chapters two and three, for me, are the hardest to really understand. And I've had to dig deep over the past seven days to understand what is going on. But from verse eight, to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these things saith the first and the last, Alpha and Omega, Christ speaking, which was dead, 30 AD, and is alive, Ascension, Resurrection, so on and so forth. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty. This church was something else, but thou art rich. So they are poor in a physical sense, if you will, but they are rich in a spiritual sense. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. And this piece of scripture has been cited by many anti-Jewish people, I'm afraid to say over the years, to use, to attack the Jews. But when I read this piece of scripture, I come to the conclusion that there are probably three groups in mind. Number one, you have to accept that the Judaizers were a major problem for the early church. And they put many roadblocks up. They tried to thwart the apostles and the disciples. And they did what they could to stop the growth of Christianity. So on the one hand, we can't rule out that the Lord is speaking about them. The second group that comes to mind would be the reformed Christians, people that think they have replaced Israel and pretty much all of Christendom are in the reformed camp. The Catholics are in the reformed camp. Most Protestants, like 90%, are in the reformed camp. The Salvation Army, the Methodists, the Baptists, the Presbyterians are all in the reformed camp. They think they are Israel. They think they are literal Jews. And of course they are not. The third group that come to my mind are the black Hebrewites. Not particularly well known in the UK, but quite uh, infamous in America. And I've seen several videos of them over the last several days, no doubt to the Lord's uh, providence. And I've watched some of these guys debating with Jehovah's Witnesses and Christian groups. And they also think that not only are they Jews, literal Jews, like the 12 tribes of Israel, but they think that Christ was a black man. And I showed you from chapter 1 that although Christ is referred to as, as having white hair, light wool, from chapter 1, verse 14, denoting his hair and also his beard, that doesn't necessarily mean he was a black man. And I showed you, I, sp I spoke about this last time, how I've known white people, Caucasians, who have had dreadlocks, plaited hair, thick hair, and they're not black. This isn't a racial thing, by the way. This is a spiritual thing. Because some of these black Hebrewites are very militant, very legalistic. And they are very much like the Nation of Islam, a militant Islamic group, which only targets black people. And therefore, they think they are cut above those that are not black. And that, of course, is incorrect. But the Lord says, I know the blasphemy. Did you get that? I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews. Could be the Judaizers. Could be those from Reformed Christendom could be uh, the black Hebrewites and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Powerful stuff. Look at verse 10. For none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give thee a crown of life, a martyr's crown. 
Be faithful unto death. Not be faithful up until the uh, up until the time you die. No, be faithful up to the point that you are martyred. See, we, we are now looking at a period which spans from 200 A.D. to around 325 A.D. We are looking at a period of uh, time which will take us up to Constantine. And during that time, they were being martyred. They were paying a huge price to follow the Lamb. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Job was put through it, as they say. So too was Paul. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison. The Lord's going to give permission to the devil to cast some of you into prison. Some of these people are going to be detained. They're going to be tortured. They're going to be martyred. And if you want to get a great understanding of this, get your hands on Fox's Book of Martyrs. What he writes about in his book is pretty much what we are reading about this morning. But be faithful unto death. And I will give thee a crown of life, a martyr's crown. Also, the term ten days is somewhat of an obscure term. And I've looked at some of the reference Bibles over the last week or two to try and understand what's going on. And I will say this, that it's most likely concerning ten successive Roman emperors. Probably starting with Domitian to Dialectian. I think that's how you pronounce his name. And those ten emperors would persecute and persecute and persecute but those that were faithful unto death are going to get a crown of life a martyr's crown a reward not salvation he's writing to save people but they're going to get a crown look at verse 11 please he that hath an ear let him hear what the spirit saith unto the churches he that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death there's that term again overcometh and most people think you have to do something to become an overcomer. But like I said a few moments ago. From 1 John chapter 4. In fact I'm going to read it today again. 1 John chapter 4 verse 4. Ye are of God little children. And have overcome them. Because great is he that is in you. Than he that is in the world. 1 John chapter 5. Look at verse 4. If you get a chance. For whatsoever is born of God. Overcometh the world. And this is a victory that overcometh the world. Even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Faith in Christ alone. If you believe on him, or if you believe on him, you are an overcomer. He that hath an ear, very much a theme found from the book of Matthew. Let him hear what the Spirit, Holy Ghost, saith unto the churches. He that overcometh, he that is born again, he that has appropriated the atonement from 200 AD to 325 AD, shall not be hurt. Of the second death, meaning this, you won't go to hell when you die. Once saved, always saved. If saved, always saved. Eternal security. And that is also very much kicked against. Most Christians are in the camp of the Reformed uh, persuasion, like I say. And on top of that, most Christians believe in what is called conditional security. They think you can lose your salvation. And that also is abhorrent to the Lord. He that overcometh one last time shall not be hurt of the second death. He that is born again is saved and kept saved. Wonderful. Verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamus write, These things saith he which hath a sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days when Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. Satan 
clearly, explicitly, turns up in verse 13. When you think of the number 13, the number of evil, the number of superstition, and yet 13 is a very popular number in the world of the occult. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. The new Bibles change that to his throne, but that won't do because when you think of Rome, you think of the Pope speaking from the seat of Peter, from the chair of Peter. If you look at the United Nations, they speak about seats. I've got a seat at the United Nations, the five permanent seats of the United Nations. So a seat denotes a throne. And here Satan has a seat, which starts back in Babylon, which has now found its place uh, or its location in Pergamos, modern-day Turkey, which later gets transferred to Babylon, chapter 17. So it starts in Babylon, Babel, if you will, back in the book of Genesis, is transferred to Pergamos, Turkey, and later, and finally, finds its place in Babylon, which, of course, is Rome, the Catholic Church. These things, saith he, verse 12, which hath the sharp sword with two edges. The word of God can hurt, and it can also heal. I know thou works, where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. This church was right in the midst of Satan's base. And thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith. So far, so good. Even in those days when Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. And here this man Antipas, who, according to tradition, was martyred, bored alive from memory. Let's keep reading on. 14. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam. who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. This first century church, again, has a double application, and this church is going to cover 325 AD to around 600 AD, which will take us right up to probably Gregory the Great. And they too are going to suffer persecution. And if you can't snuff out a Christian, you need to seduce a Christian. I'll explain that in the next couple of moments. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam. Numbers 21 to 25. Who taught Balak? Or Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. After decades, if not centuries, of the early church being persecuted, dying for their faith, contending for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints, they became somewhat lackadaisical. They thought, we're sick and tired of being persecuted, we're going to sit back, we're going to allow ourselves to wear vestments, we're going to take the good life, we're going to enjoy the good life, we're going to have altars, we're going to take vestments, as I say, or wear vestments, we're going to have chalices, we're going to be called Holy Father, we're going to be something special, we're going to build on this theme of the Nicolaitans, which the Lord hated. But from Numbers 21 to 25, Balaam and Balak are mentioned, and just very briefly, during that piece of Jewish history, the children of Israel were journeying, and Balak was asked to put a curse on Israel, and the Lord said to him, you can't curse my people, which is a great picture of eternal security. And if you attempt to do that, I'll turn that curse into a blessing. And therefore, because he wasn't able to curse the children of Israel on the orders of Balaam, he did the next best thing. He was able to seduce the children of Israel. 
And he did so by sex orgies, which from memory resulted in around 42,000 being killed by the Lord. Go back to what I said at the beginning of this message. The Lord is going to condemn and also command his children. And when his children stray from him, he will chastise them. He will bring them back into fellowship with him. He will put a perimeter. He will put a fence around his children. And when children stray and they do, he gets the whip out. He gets the belt out. Do you understand? And here the warning has to be made as clear as is possible. But it says here how Balak or Balak would cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel. A dangerous thing. To eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. Physical and spiritual fornication. Sacrificing unto idols like Moloch perhaps. But when we look at this through the eyes of futurism, we think this, that the Catholic Church are also guilty of this. They believe in the Eucharist, and they also encourage their people to pray to dead folks, so-called saints of the church. Look at verse 15. So has thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. They were in a system, priests and laity, pastors and laity, two-tier system. When I was a Catholic, people would say, what does Father say about this? What does Father say about that? Let's check it with Father. And some of you people are in church systems, and you think to yourself, what does Pastor say about this? Let's check it with Pastor. Is Pastor in agreement with us concerning whatever it may be? A two-tier system to conquer the people. Nicolation. It's a two-tier system, and God says he hates it. Also, if you think back to Galatians chapter 2, you find Peter and Barnabas. Very much guilty of this two-tier system. Peter and Barnabas, two saved Jews, which were sitting with their brethren, Jewish brethren. And they were causing the Gentiles to feel they were missing out on something. And Paul got wind of this, and he barged in there, and he called on Peter to repent. I'll say this also very briefly, that when you get saved, you are a royal priesthood. Man or woman, it makes no difference. You are a royal priesthood. You are a spiritual priest. And as we go through Revelation, you may become a king throughout the tribulation, which will give you a crown, which will give you a throne, which may give you a nation to rule over as well. But that will be conditional on how you live after you are saved. 16. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. You need to repent. Chapter 2, verse 5. If you don't repent... I will remove thy candlestick out of his place. Same sort of language. Repent. 16. Change your mind. Do an about turn. Repent. Or else I will come unto thee quickly. When you least expect it. And will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Those that are holding to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. 15. Which are sacrificing unto idols. And are committing fornication. Verse 14. Again Christ is... Our high priest, he is pitched in the third heaven as wearing a golden girdle. He's walking constantly in the midst of the seven candlesticks, being the seven churches. And as our high priest, he's very much involved on a day-to-day basis as to what we are doing here on the earth. But the warning goes out that if you don't repent, or if this group of people don't repent, could be the tares, could be the wheat. Of course, the wheat are the saved, the tares are the unsaved. But if it's the wheat... And of course, they're going to lose their place in heaven, their place in the millennial kingdom. But if it's the tares, those that aren't saved, 
those that think they are saved, Matthew 7, 21 to 23, they're going to be destroyed and eventually thrown into the lake of fire. 17, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Timber overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. From Revelation chapter 14, we have an account of the 144,000 in glory, singing a song, which only they know the words to. And here, once again, he that hath an ear, he that will receive it, he that is receptive to it, whose heart hasn't been closed, let him hear what the Spirit, Holy Ghost, saith unto the churches. Now watch it. To him that overcometh. Again, to him that has got saved, to him that has appropriated atonement, no works involved, will I give to eat of the hidden manna. John chapter 6 speaks about eating his flesh, drinking his blood, in a spiritual sense, of course. And here it's repeated again. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, being himself, of course, but spiritually not physically, you understand. And I give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, save he that receiveth it. Back in the Gospels, Peter was given a new name, which the Catholics like to remind us of on many occasions. But so too were James and John, which they don't like to remind us of very often. The sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder. And here, once you get born again in eternity, especially in the third heaven, you get a new name, which no man knows except he that receives it. Quite remarkable. So Peter got a new name. James and John got a new name. And if you overcome, meaning when you get saved, you will eat of the hidden manna, being Christ in the third heaven, not on the earth. And he will give you a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. Let's close it there in verse 17. Pick it up next week in verse 18. Revelation chapter 2, verse 18.